Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast that got a little bit tired last night, went to bed early. Everything was well in hand, though. Turned the game off with about seven minutes left and really excited about a, a two-game winning. Wait, what? What? <laughs> hey, Mark. Hey, I, I did not go to bed that early, and uh, you're in for a rude awakening. So so you're saying I should maybe just delete that one off the DVR? I would just not watch and assume it didn't happen. <laughs> Oh, so in case you haven't guessed, uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about, you know, we, we've got a three game set since we last uh, last podcast. We have, of course, Sergei Zubov night, the Boston Bruins and the Calgary Flames to talk about. And whew, oh boy, is there is there a lot to talk about? Uh, Mark is is riding shotgun on this one. We're one of those dynamic duos NHL coaches these days do so love to trot out. Uh, I will say before we dive in, we, there is actually some good to talk about as well. So this, this is not going to just be a misery cast, but um, for those of you that are here for the yelling and the swearing, we'll, we'll do that too. Uh, this, this team has, uh, this team is like an onion. It makes me cry and I hate it on my hamburgers, but um, <laughs> got a lot going on. Oh God, Mark. Um, how's how's how it going? It's going great. How about Joel Handley? Hey, 100, 100th NHL game and got a goal. More yep, like man. goal Handley. <laughs> well, second goal, actually. This one a lot less pretty than the first one. But well, the uh, first they all like season goal, though, was it not? Oh, absolutely. But that first goal in the Stanley Cup was just a thing of beauty. I mean, this was this was kind of a hey, hey, let's let Ridgie score on uh, on himself this time. This was a goal scorer's goal. I contend he knew exactly what he was doing. Played the carom. Hold on, my dog has a chew toy. One second. <laughs> <laughs> well, I keep talking about. It. I think he was shooting wide, looking for the rebound, and he got a deflection that just absolutely bamboozled Markham, and uh, the, it was wonderful. It, it fulfilled all sorts of predictions, and uh, and it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. It was wonderful, and it came at a great time, too, right? Because Dallas had started off, in my opinion, fairly brightly against Calgary, and they they were looking pretty good. They'd gotten some chances. They were buzzing, and it was one of those classic gut-punch moments where everything is going great. Then all of a sudden, you you make a bad mistake. It goes the other direction, and you're down, right? And so it was really nice, A, for the player involved, and then it was also really nice situationally because at that moment, that team needed a goal real bad, and it was good to get one. Oh, absolutely, and and we can't forget that that's also the first uh, NHL assist for Riley Damiani. So uh, a twofer right there. There you go. We are just crossing off milestones left and right, and and let's talk. We're gonna we're gonna do this in phases. So we're gonna talk about let's let's start Mark with the good. Um, and you know we we've alluded to the strong start of Calgary, but let's go let's go back one game. Of course, Dallas came into Calgary, or sorry, Calgary came into Dallas on the heels of a dare I say resounding victory over the pretty good Boston Bruins. So let's let's start there. And what are some things like what what worked? Because it felt like a lot was working. Well, I think I think pretty much everything worked, and, and that's kind of what we've been hoping for for this team. You you had uh, 
You had our top line, which has just been dynamic all year. And then you also saw the continued success of, of, of the Ben Sagan Gurianov line. And then and then some kind of unexpected success with the combination of Alexander Radulov and uh, and Jacob Peterson. And so when you have three lines that are creating threats on the offensive end, that's going to give you a pretty good hockey team. And I think that's the hockey team that Boston faced and they weren't ready for it. And so I mean, in fairness, big win for Dallas. If, if you head into Dallas and face a really good hockey team, I, I don't see why you'd be prepared for that these days. Sorry, negativity later. Um, you're <laughs> right. Uh, and and picking, picking a couple things out of there, what struck me at going back to it, and we'll bleed into Calgary a little bit because the, the assist on Ben's goal I thought thought was the same. What struck me was the, the, the first Sagan goal against Boston was a rush chance. Which was encouraging to me because, as, as we've all discussed, right, Denis Gurionov has a distinct attribute, and that's his speed. And it wasn't, you know, it, it took a, a, a weird carom to get to him, and, and really most of what Sagan was doing was nudging a puck into an open net. But the thing that leapt out to me on that, we, we've talked a couple times in the podcast about how Sagan has just— physically looked a little bit better lately, right? He's been coming on, which of course we're talking about. He had a very significant injury recovery. It's, and so it's one of those like speak softly ye optimists, but is there a chance that he's maybe rounding back into form? And then there he was in the Boston game, you know, picking him up, putting him down. I don't think he would have won a foot race against Dennis Gurionov, but he was, he was quick enough to be in that play to capitalize on that rebound and score. And so like from the jump, there was a level of, uh, you know, to that goal, even as simple as it was, there was a level of encouragement behind that goal because to be in a position to tap that puck into an empty net, Tyler Sagan had to do something that we haven't seen a ton of recently. Yep. Yep. And, and, you know, it, there was a bit of a carry on. There was one, uh, there was one rush going the other way against Calgary. I noticed and Sagan, was behind the play and you just saw him jump on the horse and go mm-hmm. and, and he made it back into the play. And I don't think we would have seen that even one month ago. So I, I, I think that there is definite hope that the, the, the reports of Tyler Sagan's demise are a bit premature here. I mean, it is, that would be just amazing as you know, from a, a stars fan perspective and just also from a human interest perspective, you hate to see anybody, get derailed as thoroughly as, as he seemed to have been by the injuries. But this, this team needs that. Cause as you mentioned, right, that, that unit, the Ben say the Ben Sagan Gurionov group um, has been going pretty good lately, right? That's been a successful line for the stars. And, and if they're going to, if they're going to be anything of, of relevance, right. Of significance, then that group is going to have to go. And then, and frankly, you know, we know Ben is mercurial at this point, so it's not just that group and, and Gurionov's in and out. So at this point, it's sort of if if Sagan can get going independently, then that that gives them more options as, you know, Radulov comes and goes, Ben comes and goes, you know, maybe Demiani gets some looks up the like if, if Sagan is going at the pivot, right, he's been able to move to center during the stretch as well. But if, if Tyler Sagan is now an effective or at least passable top six center in the NHL, Dallas Stars fans can breathe a, a much bigger sigh of relief than they may be expected based on the start of the season. Right, and exactly. And the stuff that we were talking about with, with Sagan a month and a half ago about his having to relearn his game and how he was getting tougher in the corners and how he was finding ways to get to the front of the net, 
all of a sudden that's an enhanced benefit in addition to what he already brings. And so, uh, again, this is an expanded role. And so Tyler Sagan, when he's fully back, has enough tools there that maybe he's at least as good, if not better than he was before. And and here you're, you're kind of going to say, well, there's going to be some regression on the speed side. He probably won't have as much, uh, as much going on there, but he's expanding his game to be much more complete on the offensive end. And so there's no reason why you can't at least hope that he'll, he'll maintain his goal scoring numbers uh, with, with the extra tools. Yeah, and goal scoring, and again, especially if they can get him into the middle of the ice, all of a sudden they're making compromises. They're making fewer compromises elsewhere. I also want to highlight during this stretch, another another uh, streak was broken, and Alex Radulov got his second of the season kind of back on the scoreboard. Nice breakaway finish off of an Essa Lindell feed, of all things. So, you know, definitely put that one in the museum. But um, is is it a little bit uh, – or is it – too naive to hope that maybe Radulov is, is, you know, he had some comments in the media talking about how his core muscle injury from last year was the first time he's ever been hurt to the extent where he couldn't play for an extended stretch and talked about how he was out for a year and how that was new and different and how he's, you know, and so sort of the same question with Sagan are, are, do you see any kind of green shoots or signs that Radulov might be coming around as well? I mean, with Radulov, I think it's all about who he's around mm. because there's so much that he brings to the game that isn't isn't putting pucks in the net. And so, yeah, you, you see a second goal of, of the season, which is which is nice because that gets a big monkey off the back. But his passing has been there fairly consistently throughout. It's just that nobody's been able to finish on it. And, and so, I mean, if you take a look at some of the expected goals numbers and top 10 lists, um, I haven't looked since he got his second, but uh, Radulov's kind of top 10 in, in, you know, expected goals versus actual goals and, and, and being way under where he should be. And so I've never been as down on, on Radulov as, as some other people may be. You know, it's kind of it's kind of like the Nutrition thing. It, it becomes a story in and of itself, as opposed to watching what's going on on the ice and whether the the players um, making positive impacts on the game. It makes sense. It, it reminds me a lot in in hockey terms. He reminds it, it different styles, but it reminds me a lot of all of the hair pulling we've done over Dennis Gurionov reminds me of a guy like Patrick Line as well. Um, crossing, crossing sports. He reminds me of like a, a you know, either a three and D wing in basketball or, or a, a true out, you know, one of those, those true outcome players in baseball in that Alex Radulov isn't well-rounded, right? He does one thing well. And so he doesn't, you know, well-rounded players are ones that can kind of, you know, they they're less visible when they're struggling, right? Because they do a bunch of little stuff, right? Like like you know a guy like you know before you know pre-injury and hopefully he's back there, but a guy like Tyler Sagan, right, will go quiet for stretches, but because he's a center, because he's kind of evolved, because he's some you know defensive responsible, he wins faceoffs, he can you know score because of a bunch of facets of his game. Tyler Sagan can have a game where he doesn't necessarily hit the score sheet, and he helps you know helps the team. Hints Hints is the same way, right? Whereas a guy like like Radulov, he's he's you know power hitter in baseball, and that he's either going to show up on the on the spreadsheet because he helped the team, 
or he's not going to show up on the spreadsheet. And he really didn't help the team because that's sort of his. And I don't mean to I'm not trying to reduce his value by saying that it's just, you know, it's it's kind of like, you know, if a goalie saves the puck, he's good. If he doesn't save the puck, he's bad. And, and that's sort of. Radulov has a very binary role, I think, amongst the forwards. And so to your point about line mates, you can occasionally, you shouldn't, right? But you can occasionally turf a guy like Sagan on a fourth line or a third line and still get some value because he'll progress the puck and win faceoffs and do little things. Whereas to your point, if if you play Alexander Radulov with players that that aren't offensive and don't think the game that way, all you're really building in is a bunch of turnover passes through the slot where somebody more creative would be standing. Right, exactly. And, and you know, if, if we're going to cross sports, yeah, I'll go back to baseball and say, you know, if you have a cleanup hitter who who bats who bats 200, you know, on, on a team that doesn't have guys on base for him, he's going to be a big black hole. But if he's coming up with two guys on and and his home runs are three run home runs as opposed to one run home runs, he he's a major contributor to the team. And, and, and so I, I think it does kind of parallel that way. Yeah, which, you know, gets into, and we'll, we'll I'm sure, touch on this later. It, it's one of the things that has been so infuriating as Stars fans is watching you have that player, and yet you play him with, you know, Yoel Kibiranta, um, you know, and, and guys, maybe Jay, I mean, I am putting up my hands. We're not recording this visually, but I, I have my hands in the air right now and, I don't. I haven't decided what Jacob Peterson is besides useful, but I don't know how yet. But it's it's why it can be so so vexing sometimes to see Radulov's usage and probably why he's pretty challenging to fit into a roster because if, if you can't find a way for him to do the thing that he's good at, then you might as well just not have him. Right, and and, and I mean certainly we've seen parts in the past where if Radulov Radulov can. Uh, he he can take his energy in a negative fashion as well as in a positive fashion. Mm-hmm. And if you get that negative vibe going out of him, I think I think that's potentially a uh, a real downer in the room. And and I, I think he got a reputation for that at, at a team or two when he was younger. Um, he I, I think he's probably matured quite a bit since then. But they're they're still there you know if he's and i think i mentioned this before if he's if he's playing fourth line minutes with uh, with nobody who's going to make him better uh, he's he's not a dallas star yeah and and i think it's you know you can this is a little bit armchair psychology but you you can kind of see you know the the how many times we've complained about this with Dennis Gurionov, right like hockey culture is conditioned to you know you you earn things right so the the entire the entire purpose is if you're not playing well then you go play with worse players until you demonstrate that you're playing better at which point you get back into a situation where you can play better and it's not you know but so so you can see how a player like him in that culture would present problems because if if Alex Radulov is set, is struggling right hockey orthodoxy says fourth line when in reality, if Alex Radulov is struggling, what should probably happen is more time on the power play, more time on the first, you know, find guys that are going. He's sort of the the anti-Yuri Lettinen, right? When when a line was struggling in the old days, you put Lettinen on it and he'd fix it, right? Nowadays, if 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 a line is going if a line is going well, you maybe put Alexander Radulov on that line to get him going, right? You you almost right. backwards. Well, and the thing that I've noticed 
if if you see Radulov playing and, and and then going to the bench with the younger guys, he gets so animated on the on the bench explaining things to people. I, I've seen him sitting next to Riley Tufty. I've seen him sitting next to Joel Kiviranta. I've seen him sitting next to Jacob Peterson. Very animated, just just explaining how reads should be made. And and I think that's the kind of energy where where Radulov can be extremely use, useful. And you know, I, I'd love to see him on a line with Damiani. There's obviously some issues with uh, with questions of, of defense and or size related to a line like that. But that would Radulov's offensive mind with somebody like a sniper like Damiani. I, I think it has great potential. Yeah, I mean, you got you 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 have to. You know, you're always walking that fine line, like as we've been talking about. The line sounds like it would produce, and it kind of has to produce because if it doesn't produce, then you're in a lot of trouble, right? Because you you know that it's not going to at least battle. It's you know some lines they may not produce, but they're at least going to fight their way to even on the night and not not get you burned. Whereas the the you know a a, a Radulov Damiani combination. If they're not scoring, they're probably getting caved in, and you, you've got a problem on your hands. Yep, yep. So again, that's that's coaching and balance, but uh, it's something that you could work in in, in an mm-hmm. offensive end and, uh, and and see how it works. And I think you know Damiani seems to be fairly responsible, and so at least as far as getting back, uh, I, I don't really have a problem with that. Yeah, and I mean as well. Also look at the look at the way that this team works. Like look at what it's good at, look at what it's bad at, and let that inform your, you know, your your risk matrix. I would argue that the way that Dallas plays, right? They tend to have a we'll get into this later, but on the whole, there is a strong defense, good goaltending, and a solid defensive team structure. I, you know, focus group of one, but I think it's worth taking some gambles and taking some shots to see if you can you know, unlock a little bit more offense, but you know, I'm not in charge. Well, and let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, this team and defensive structure. Let's do that. Because if you take a look at, I I spent some, some good time on hockey viz today, uh, just kind of seeing where we were halfway through. And if you take a look at the raw numbers, this is the worst defensive team we've had since the Lindy Ruff years. And you can kind of break it down. You no, know, no, but take, the, this team's whole this team's stock and trade is supposed to be its its defensive structure. That's that's the whole point of why we don't have the offense that we think we need. Well, let me let me throw this out there. This team is you know the Dallas Stars and their identity is, is something that we've talked about many times, and. I, I'm not sure whether the product on the ice actually matches the the verbiage that's said. We've kind of we've kind of grown out of it, and it, it's the same as you know. There there was always the story that this team was going to draft the the biggest bodies possible, and it took about two or three drafts of of, of smaller, quicker forwards for us to kind of realize, hey, they they've changed, and this team isn't really that hard to play against, you know, physical behemoth that they, that they once were. I mean, um, they're certainly you know, not hard to play against when they're trying to defend the lead. 
Well, but but even there, you know, take a look. Even even the FCC line, you take a look at it, and and Foxo was probably the defensive weak link on that uh, on that group. I mean, Como, for whatever you had to say about him, was a was a pretty solid defender, and and, and the same is true for Cogliano, and, and and the numbers just bear that out. And if you take a look at them compared to Glenn Denning and Raffle, who are, who are the, the purported replacements there, um, that's just a fairly mediocre defensive line. And, you know, the, the FCC line could take a top group and shut them down. And there's not a single line on this current team that can, that can play a shutdown role. And so we may claim that we, we want to have 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 a group that can shut people down, but they just flat out can't. We don't have defenders that can stop the cycle. We have defenders who can move the puck. But we keep saying that that this is this pesky, hard to play against, defense first group. And I'm looking at the ice and I'm saying, yo, you're 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 trying to fill that that round hole with this square peg. It is that's not the team we have. And it's certainly not the team we're going to have next year or the year after. And I think it's well, like, look at the, and, and I guess we'll we'll start the segue into the other bit. I think, additionally, if you look at the successful teams across the NHL, I would argue that the, the peskiness is not the team that, that's not most of the good teams in the league anymore. Right. I mean, pe- pesky is the... Pesky is the, the 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 refuge of the mediocre, <laughs> and I you know it's it's also like the, you know one of the I, I would I would you know go back to the last two games right which which version of the Dallas Stars do you think is harder to play against the one that was throttled down versus Boston for three periods and won six to one or the one that that played two periods got a lead and then stopped against Calgary what what is harder to do right well and let's let's break down Calgary a little bit because. What the thing I noticed about well, the actually, Calgary before, game? One last. Okay, go go ahead. No, no, no. I was just gonna say before we do that, because that will, I think, be a pretty definitive swing towards the negative. Uh, is there anything else that you want to highlight um, out of that um, out of that Boston game? You know, I think we got a strong Ottinger effort that deserves to be called out. Um, we got scoring up and down the lineup um, that deserves to be called out. Is there, is there anything else that that strikes you as worth mentioning from that that resounding win against the Bruins? Well, I mean, my the one thing I would mention is that I in fact called for a blowout on Slack before the game, <laughs> and, and and I got absolutely no credit afterwards for for predicting that was going to happen. Fair. Um, well, credit credit. Now, the last the thing I wanted to call out is against the Bruins is I actually thought that, uh, you know, credit where credit is due. Right. Good and bad. I thought that as that game, you know, was partially driven by score effects. But we saw a lot of, of Dennis Gurionov in offensive situations in that game. Yep. And I think that the, the staff, the coaching staff found a way to put him into positions to succeed that night versus kind of fighting against him like they sometimes do. Well, and I think a lot of that carried over as well. I I think, I think Gurionov is settling into that Ben Sagan line. And I think it's a line that allows him to be himself. And, and so I wouldn't be surprised if we're, we're seeing Dennis Gurionov on a, on a bit of an upswing here over the next month or so. And then have, I have great hopes for for what he's going to do the rest of the year. Oh man, keep keep 
keep telling me that. Um, but sorry, I interrupted you earlier. So you wanted to let's let's move now to um, now let's let's get into let's let's get into uh, actually before we get into Calgary is no let's let's do Calgary. Let's talk Calgary. We're going to talk Calgary. Well, let let's talk let's talk offensive zone faceoffs. <laughs> the- and and the thing if you take a look at what what the team did, they established a presence in the offensive zone. They got offensive zone faceoffs at worst. And they won the faceoffs, and they just kept the pressure off. The entire game for the first two periods was played in the Calgary zone. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the opportunities that Calgary had coming back were, were odd man rushes, which, which were you know, a, a, a pretty big problem in the first, but they, they cut down on them quite a bit in the second. But I think that's the type of game that, you know, when when you're playing somebody who's pretty big like Calgary is, Cal- Calgary Calgary runs a great cycle. They have physical presence on both the back end and the front end, um, with the exception of their scoring line. And that's the kind of game that just takes the air out of that. And the unfortunate thing about whether you want to call it a turtle or not in the third is we quit doing the work to get into the offensive zone. And once we got out of being in the offensive zone, it just played straight into the hands of, uh, of what Calgary wanted to do. And, and I'll bring this back that Dallas this year is you know, last year. We had a team that could deal with the cycle. We don't have a team that can deal with the cycle this well, year. Not I, a, not a heavy cycle. I would argue that we, we do have a team that could deal with the cycle. It's the team that we saw for the first two periods against Calgary that doesn't let the puck stay deep. Right, right. Oh, well, exactly. Yeah. Sorry, but but you're right. no, exactly. you're you're exactly right. I mean, that that's kind of my point. Is <laughs> you know, you know, the the way the the way you beat the cycle is to not let them set it up. Yeah, and 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 you would, and that seems to be like looking at the strengths of this Dallas roster, like the types of players they have. You're your Miro Haskinens and and your your John Klingbergs and to a lesser degree your Ryan Suters all the way up to the forwards like this is this is not a team that's going to put two four checkers on a defender's back shoulder and you know shrug their way out of the zone they're they're going to get out of the zone because it's go 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 and you can't catch them right right and and so when you get into the third when you don't necessarily want to want want to just go all out offense is you you play it like you have a safety valve who's going to get a, a, a breakaway because what Dallas did was they allowed Calgary to get into a cycle without any offensive threat at all. Yeah. I and, think it was, it was shots were, I believe they were even or close to even heading into third. It was like 22 to 23 Dallas or 23 all or some, something like that. Right. And then of course it ends with, with um, Calgary over 40 and Dallas still in the 20. So it was, yep. Yeah, worst worst case, it was a straight up even fight heading into the third, and then Dallas just you know took the night took the period off. Right, and they I mean until in, until the game was pretty much turned around, they you know um, I was, I, I'm even forgetting the, their goaltender's name because he, he was hardly ever on screen. Um, you know, I I I, I kind of sarcastically commented after the game that he needed to be the one star because he 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 shut out Dallas and got the win. <laughs> yeah. Well, how many times have we had a no-name goaltender come in, shut out Dallas, and get the win, right? But um, yeah, I think I think the point of it being heavy uh, about the heavy cycle makes a lot of sense, which is why it's particularly galling. Um, 
and then I'm I'm gonna run something by you very quickly, and and I just want to get your your reaction first. And I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but this this came from you know DeFranks was was talking about it, Newkirk was talking about it, about you know in in his in his press conference post game, right? Obviously, one of the questions that came up to Dallas is, well, hey, you had a you know a big lead heading into the third, heading into late the third. Why why'd you turtle? And Rick Bonus's reaction to that was that he in fact denied it right energetically denied it and said in fact the message to the team was let's let's take it to them and i just will we'll get into nuance but before we do just as a as a gut reaction right if 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 i can go back in time you've just you've just turned off the calgary game dallas has just lost rick bonus calls you and says hey mark you know we we want i, I told the team to go 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 um what's your response well, go, go, go could mean a bunch of different things. The problem is there, there's, a, there's a practical implementation of go, go, go. And if the practical impl- implementation of go, go, go is that everybody is pushing play to the outside and Calgary is just controlling the puck and you're creating no threats, you, know, you have no forwards who are, who, are, who are getting on the wrong side of the puck, on the off chance that they might get a breakaway, then it's impossible to go, 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 because the only way you go, go, go is you're chasing after the puck after you ice it down, down, down the boards, and, and you're going to be coming back for a faceoff. I mean, there ha- you know, what are you going to do? If the, if the puck's on the outside and, and you, get it, you get it moved up to a forward, is he going to kick that puck to the center so that you can get your feet moving and, and get the puck into center ice? Well, no, because we've been kind of trained not to do that. And so what we're going to do is we're going to chip it up the boards and chipping it up the boards when they're ready for it and we haven't created a threat for them is just kind of setting them to drop back into the cycle again. So what does go, go, go mean? Yeah, and and that's – I don't know that they know to be – what what does it that it, because it certainly this and this is where this is where again we we played this game after Montreal we played this game after St Louis we've played this game so many times before in in a vacuum if if you just look at this one game guess what man good NHL teams play two fantastic periods and cough one up it happens right it's it's not a it's not insane. To you know, I think it was uh, Ottawa beat Edmonton the other night. Like, it's it's not insane for teams, and Calgary is not. Calgary is a fantastic team, by the way. You know, just kind of joking, checking the checking the um, you know the standings. They are technically in eighth, um, but they're they are yes. way behind in games played. They've got five in hand. Their winning yeah. percentage, I think, is fifth in the conference. They've got a plus thirty goal differential. Like Calgary is a good enough team. That it is completely understandable on a one-off. It's it is completely acceptable that they could walk into any building in the league and overturn a three-goal, de- you know, two-goal, three-goal de- deficit and win a game in the third period. It it happens sometimes. The problem with the Dallas Stars is this isn't just about Calgary, right? This this happens a lot. Well, and and this team. This team is somewhat fragile in their turtling. I, I think in previous years we've had we've had enough of a bulked confidence on the back end where we kind of thought we might be able to shut down a cycle periodically. And 
I don't think this team thinks they can shut down a cycle at all. And so what ends up happening well, is – they're not they, – they, they, right? They, yeah. they can't. Definitively, they can't. Right. So and, they're being told – I would feel if, – if you put me in a Dallas Stars jersey, gave me a three-goal lead and said, hey, Wes, you're going to play the third period. Don't let the other team score. I would do a crap job at it, and I know that, and I'd be pretty demoralized. Well, and, and, you know, it's all good and fine, and everybody's still loosey-goosey up until that first goal goes in. And then it's like the bubble pops, and panic sets in. Because, because you know you know at that point that it's so hard to get the game back when you've been put in a mindset where you're in the defensive zone. And so at that point, you're just waiting for the dam to break and the deluge to hit, and that's what happens. And it's happened three or four times this year. And I think as well, if you're the other team, why on earth, you know, usually, right, old old school, when, th- when things are going by two, and that's a death sentence, yep. right? Like why, I, I don't want to, and, and it's, again, I, I don't want to be an armchair psychologist, but it's, it's talking, you know, you're thinking about, well, thinking about all of those extra millisecond, extra little bursts of effort plays, like how do you consistently put yourself into that, you know, 110% to use a dumb cliche position when you know that the team you're playing against isn't going to let you win anyways, right? Flip flip that around right now. If you're down against the, if, if you, there's no doubt in my mind that if you're in the Calgary locker room heading into the third period of the Stars, they've they've had scouting reports. They've seen the season. I, I get all all Dar- all Daryl Sutter had to say was listen, if we get one, we've got this. Yep. yep. And if you're and- if you're a skilled player on Calgary like it's really easy to buy into that message. Like, yeah, we do. If we get one, they're toast. Yep, and and we've seen it going the other way. Because how many times have has Dallas just been up against a brick wall in in net? All and you sit there watching, and you say, all we need is one. Yep. And once we get that one, then the Dallas Star mentality mentality is going to come in there and know that we're going. They all come in bunches, and and it's like, okay. Offensively for this team, they kind of come in bunches, but they also come in bunches going the other way too. They do, um, and I think it just comes down to I, I, I still it stops working when Dallas stops looking for its bunches. Yep. If that makes sense. Well, and I, I think, yeah, I think. I mean, Otter so had year. been very, very good early in that yep. Calgary game, and it, it, it worked. And it worked against a good team, and it wasn't a fluke. He made good saves. Like the defense made good play. Like, yeah, they gave up stuff, but it's it's that risk reward. And and this team is not good enough, either. You know, from a skill standpoint or from a mental standpoint, it seems right. This team isn't good enough to win a game where we say there are going to be a total of ten chances, and if we score on more, if we can hit three times, we win. Like they're not right now, at least. This time isn't good enough. This team isn't good enough to win that game. And so you have to start thinking about, okay, well, if we can't win that game, well, I guess we're going to have to create 15 chances. We're going to have to create 20, right? Yep. Let, let me let me throw this out to you um, because I, I know it's kind of a constant discussion about the aging curve and and Jamie Benn and, mm. and how that contract is, uh, is, is you know, just unlivable for the next three years and Ben is a power forward. Uh, over 30 is just never going to be able to live up to it. What, you know, aging curves aren't consistent with age. It's kind of, it's predictive that the body's going to take abuse and at a certain point it declines. What, what if Radic Fox's 
a couple years early on his aging curve. Yeah. Significant wrist injury. Never had the, you know, with, with a player like Jamie Benn, you have a high end, you know, the, the, the high was so very high that he can, I mean, Joe Pavelski is an extreme example of this, right? If, mm-hmm. if you have a high at a certain level, then, you know, it's, it's a curve, right? If you start higher, it takes you longer to get to a, a, a non-useful point. Right. And, and I mean, one of my favorite Fox's stories has always been this, this, you know, leaving his home in his early teens to go 120 miles to play with the men's team. That kind of starts the aging curve earlier. Yep. That's my concern is that the team's just kind of waiting for Foxy to become himself. And, and Fox has given us what he got. I mean, that, that was the line coming out of training camp, right? It's, hey, he played all year last year with the, hand, with the wrist injury. Yeah. It's healthy now. It's going to be fine. Well, guess what? Yeah, I mean, I, I was just and it's, looking and at And you could numbers. say, like, it, it's it wasn't classic. fine before that necessarily either. Like, the FCC line, when it was – but it, their cracks were forming before he got hurt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, if you take a look at his numbers, it is just classic aging curve three years earlier than than the standard. And and I hate to say it because I love him as a player, but it seems to me like the coaching staff is is, is thinking that's more in the tank than there is. Well, isn't that the you know we we've dinged this coaching staff for other things, but isn't isn't that part of the the way right? Is some of these this this is a coaching staff that seems favor those i'm making very sarcastic air quotes known quantity veterans right it's it's they've they've made decisions favoring players based on the sum total i mean they they signed luke glendening to a multiple year deal right um they they keep bringing tanner caro back right fox is another example this this is a team that seems to to prioritize that sometime this they signed fox through 2025 (laughs) <laughs> I yep. mean, it's not at 3.2 isn't a cap killer, but he's got a mod- modified no trade through 2025. I mean, they're not. Yeah, much. I mean, it, it, it just it just concerns me that that we're asking him to play a role that he's physically not in a position where he can where 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 he can do it. And it's it's and, so and, much and, the ex- expand that problem to cover to cover the entirety of the stars. Not only is he being asked to play a role that is perhaps out of his physical range, it it's also a role that that is out of the range of its of his team. Even if right. we, even if he was still peak Foxa, right? It's not it's not Ben Bishop and you know the FCC line and a team that is just absolutely locked down behind him anymore. Right, which which is which is exactly my point in in saying that this team isn't what people are telling you this team is the the stars identity isn't reflected on the ice and and as long as there's that disconnect, we're going to keep fighting ourselves trying to be something that we aren't. I mean, I would argue the the stars identity. It's the um, and we're just going to keep picking on him, right? And and maybe it was coach speak, maybe not, but it was before the Detroit, uh, before the Detroit, you know, that that Detroit Buffalo road, Philadelphia road trip. They were talking about Dallas Stars identity and Rick Bonus name drops, you know, Michael Roffel and Luke Glendening when he talks with the team's identity, and it was just a a face palm card moment because, to your point, like the identity of this the identity of this team is the Pavelski line, and you build from there. 
Right. But instead, it feels like the identity of this team is still the FCC line, even though it's just F now, <laughs> just F, I guess. But it's it's like they're they're still building around that mentality, and that's just not this group. Right, but they they're build they they are building around this. Sorry, this they're they're mentality. strategizing <laughs> around. Right. The the the, the strategy the, well the strategy is in place to be different, but the tactics aren't, and and so what we get is an on ice product that doesn't reflect our skill. And it and, it you have an on ice pro- there they they seem to prioritize raising the floor over playing to the ceiling. Right, which which is which is all good and fine, and and, and the thing is, there are replacements for the people that you want in the bottom six roles down in Cedar Park. What there aren't at this point yet are players who are replacements for the top six. Um, like, likewise, and, and so and so I guess my, my ultimate question here, um, as we, you know, we, we were what, a little over a month and a half away from the trade deadline, is if we are insist on maintaining the identity of what this team uh, says it is, then there's no way that we're going to do it unless we invest in free agency and bring in players who who can play the roles that we tell them that we want. If if what this team is going to do is finally reflect what their what what their personnel can do, then it's going to move on with with your top line and and build on down from there. And, and I think and we're going to, and it's going to, and it, you know, you can build from the defense forward. We have some great, you know, great young puck moving defenders um, who are just going to be absolutely wasted if we, if we don't allow them to flourish. Yeah. And I think you're seeing that sort of philosophical struggle in real time with the uh, John Klingberg extension, right? Yeah. And that there is no, there is no clear illustration that the organization as a whole is grappling with that. Um, and, and then I think it was, I forget the gentleman's name, but you know, the athletic recently did a deep dive into Dallas's prospect pipeline and how it's much improved, right? I think they've jumped 11 yep. spots and you know, everything, you know, from, you know, the Wyatt Johnson signing all, all of those picks, right. That, that latest class looks like it's going to be amazing. And one of the points that it made with Thomas Harley was, you know, you read it the first time and we're kind of jazzed. And then you read it the second time and you think, Oh no, because it's yes. talking about for, for him to succeed, there are going to be, and we say the same thing about Klingberg. And to be honest, we should probably start saying it about Miro as well, although he seems to be of a level better and it may not matter, but for, for him to, for Harley to succeed, the team is going to have to accept that there will be mistakes and that there will be elements of his game that are never ironed out, right? There will, there will always be mistakes because his game is predicated on puck movement and control and, and things that carry more risk than a, you know, bank pass out of the blue line, a blue uh, off out of the defensive zone. That's about, you know, ankle high. Right. So it, it just kind of gets into, what are they going to allow him to be? And that's that's a concerning thing looking at the current state of the Dallas Stars. Right. And and I mean if 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 I had my brothers in the whole thing, what I would what I would be looking to do at this point is to is to find somebody who could use somebody like Andre Sakara um and 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 moving Harley into the top six 
move Hanley back to, to the place where he's best, which is the seventh defender who can fill in when you need him. Mm-hmm. And I literally would have Miro and, and, and Thomas Harley joined at the hip. That, that, is my, that is my future pairing for the next 10 years. And I would start it now. Yeah, I mean, and and I think in in my opinion there will be there will be hiccups, but I, I have a hard time believing based on what we have seen. Like Miro's I, played I, with Roman Pola. Well, that's what I was going to say, and and yeah. I think that that Miro has proven he can carry a partner, and and frankly, I don't know that Harley would need to be carried that much. Right. Exactly. It's 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 a it turns into very quickly one of the top top pairs in the NHL. Because I mean, really. Yeah. Miro Haskinen plus someone that can skate is going to be one of the top pairs in the NHL. Right, right. You can't you can't concentrate just on on Miro. In fact, that if if Harley's if Harley's on his left side, all of a sudden I'm not as concerned that Miro is uh, is holding back his game to to uh, help out his partner because his partner is going to do just fine. <sighs> it's yeah. it's. And there's no answer right now. And, and unfortunately, I think we're, we are, I, I don't know that we're going to get one. I just, I, I'm, I don't know what, what gives me, I guess I, there's not, there's not, as, I mean, I guess, I don't know if there's, in my opinion, there's not as much to say about the Washington game, but the only thing that, you know, heading into this set, I was pretty convinced that they're just, this was going to be a status quo team until the end of the year. And that, that was kind of that for the first time, you know, it's 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 one of those another one of those like sports catchisms. You can afford to lose a game on a veterans night, but can you afford to get embarrassed on a veterans night? And so do you think that does what impact does the game against Washington have on this team? I think they've already forgotten it. You think? I, I mean, I, I think so. I, the, the, the thing about Dallas and. I, I still have real high hopes that this is a playoff team. It's going to be a wild card team because there's there's no way they're gonna there's no way they're gonna catch uh, anybody in the division. Um, they're they're going to be a they're going to be a five. They're gonna they're gonna end up being the last team in. And if they can make the playoffs, they have a lot of veterans, a lot of guys who've been through it before. I think it they they make a they make as good a run as they can. And, and and that's kind of what we thought at the beginning of the year. And if it's a last hurrah for this leadership group, then then so be it. Um, if it's the last hurrah for this leadership group and they don't make the, the playoffs, uh, there's going to be some great souls up and down the, the the whole organization. Or there won't be. I don't know. <laughs> it's just well, I, I, I like we're having the same conversation. Well, it, it, but I. I Obviously, you, you can't predict this, but I think if if that's the case, there the organization, at least the playing side of the organization, is going to look a lot different than it does, because because literally literally at, at the point if this team doesn't make the playoffs, if if you're if you're any kind of manager, you're going to recognize that things are turning over. And that you need to create an organizational structure that's going to support what you have. And I think I think the people at the top of this organization are too smart to not realize that. I hope so, because at the end of the day, right, this is a what what really kills me. What really kills me is this is a team that is spinning to the salary cap. 
this is a team that has arguably the best line in hockey. And that's not Homerism hyperbole. Like look at look it up, right? The the Robertson Pavelski Hens trio is is as good as any trio that is in the NHL right now. And then they have a generational defender in Miro Haskinen, and we're talking about if they make the playoffs. Yep. yep. To to a certain degree, like I mean, I'm not they're obviously Connor McDavid and, and Leon Dreidel are, are superior players. They are they are better than than Joe Pavelski and Jason Robertson and, and Rupe Hens, right? That's that's not the point that I'm making, but I would argue that the the rest of the Dallas roster is, you know, light years ahead of where Edmonton is, right? So it's it's to me the situation is is just it's appalling that we're sitting here talking about hope and, you know, that this isn't a team that's that's able to compete at the top of the division. I mean, how many games has Nathan McKinnon missed? And Colorado is is just a, a world beater. And that's it is it is the idea that anybody could look at that with a, a shred of dignity and say, ah, if we got another couple of bounces, like that's, it's, it's appalling. It's really bad. I, I agree somewhat. The only thing I would say is that I think, I think this team thought that they were going to be better defensively than, than they turned out to be. And, and, and sometimes it takes a while for you to realize that, uh, that what you thought was true, isn't true. And, and, that's the point you need to deal with it. And I think we're right now at the point where it needs to get dealt with. Oh, I, I think the point was 10 games ago that that's again, that what I think the point was after St. Louis and it's been a month and that that's, that is the other, both in the in-game sense and in the macro sense, this is also a team that doesn't seem to adjust beyond occasionally flipping they'll change lines they'll throw Klingberg on the third line to make a point shake the fist at clouds or whatever but in terms of structure this is this is not a team that has you know tried a lot of different things it is what it feels from the outside right and and you know I'm somewhat sympathetic to Rick Bonus um on, on some of this just because with a team that's so laden with veterans I I think the veterans have a lot more control in the room than, uh, than than maybe with a younger team, and so and so he just can't necessarily come out and, and and lay the law. These guys these guys at this point in their career know what they need to do to get ready. They know what it takes to be a, a playoff team, and and they're either willing to do it or they aren't willing to do it. And so you know obviously if you do what you what you need to do and it comes up short then that's one thing if you don't do what you need to do and come up short then then that's the concern because there have been certain points in this season where it looked like the team wasn't ready to put in the effort to to get to the point where they can make the playoffs yeah and i think that's a good that is a good call out because it's it's the you know another old cliche right is that the you you can't fire the players, so you fire the coach, and and all of this focus on, in my opinion, it's it's one of those two things. Two things can be true, right? I think it is totally fair to say that you know some burden of of you know some burden has to fall on the coaching staff for a team that that consistently has the same problems and fails in the same situations. At the same time. This same group of players has has had trouble with what we're five coaches now, right? So it's it's not it is not as simple as you put a new coach behind the bench and everything is fine, but it's also not as simple as if only the players would listen to the coach, everything would be fine. 
Right, right. I mean, this goes back to what what uh, Rick Bonus was saying. It's like I told him, you know, put the put the foot to the floor. Let's go, go, go. And that really should be all he needs to say. You'd think. So if you're told go, 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 and you decide that you're going to turtle on your own, then that's a different kind of problem than than what we've been talking about so far this year. Yeah, and, and we'll see what they do about it. So now, you know, yep. the Dallas Stars have a break. It's not going to be an Olympic break like they thought, but they'll get, I think, what is it, a week off, two weeks off? What are we talking about here? Yeah, so a week. I think, uh, what are we, next game's uh, towards the end of next week, next Friday, something like that? Something like that. So they, they have time, and, and maybe ending on such a low note will help compel some better behavior. It certainly can't get much worse. Um you know, a lot of the same stuff we talked about last week. This is still a team that is in the hunt playoff playoffs wise They're They've got, you know, I think it's three games in hand over Los Angeles in the seventh spot. They've got more than that over Anaheim. Their, their points percentage. They're now officially out of the top eight when you look at points percentage, but it's close, right? This is a, as they are perpetually, you know, it's, it's Schrodinger's hockey team, just like last season. They're, they're one run in either direction from being into this thing or out of this thing. Yep. And um, this is, makes it interesting to be a Stars fan. Uh, interesting is a word for it, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we, I want to end, I want to do one more, we'll do one thing to end this on a highlight. So heading into the All-Star break, what is your, uh, what is your favorite moment so far this season? Oh well, other than other than absolutely lambasting Boston, which was just always is uh, is is good for me. It's a treat. Um, it, it 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 just flat out is a treat. I would say the the best that I've the best feeling that I've had for this team is the absolute success that Jason Robertson has had. I, I think he's turned into the most complete player on this entire roster and and he's only going to get better yeah i think that's a great one there was a, a really funny line i think it was by by dom or one of the athletic stat guys talking about how it's very hard right now to accurately project jason robertson because he's never been bad and it's really it's really difficult to take you know to use statistical modeling to tell you how he's going to be in a couple of years because there has been no dip and so it is incredibly difficult to know what we're talking about um yep. I think that's a that's a really good. I, I like that one a lot. Um, that I was I was going to go with something Jason Robertson related, but the the other bit I would go with is um, when 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 uh, the the stretch they went when they scored in the first period. That, oh, yeah. The way that first line has been able to just jump on kids has been a lot of fun so far. Yep, yep, and and it's and it's weird because a lot of times they were they didn't start the game. And, and yeah. so they'd come, they they'd come off the bench and just you know it, it had to be within you know the 10 15 seconds it was in the net. Oh, so good. Those are the good times. Yeah. And we, who knows, right? We we've got a lot of season left, still a lot of play. We've got some time off. We will be coming back next week. We haven't figured out exactly what we're going to talk about, but we know that it's going to be awesome and that you all need to listen. So yeah. we we will fingers be crossed. Back. Fingers crossed. Maybe a special guest. Ooh, that's what they call a teaser in the business. Yep. Well, it should be should be something else. So, Mark, as always, thank you for your insights and your time, KT, for for making this all. And then, uh, for those of you out out in listener land, thanks for for downloading. Thanks for the hearts. Thanks for listening, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.